Are there nerds here tonight? Nerds! You are a part of the lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. And Carissa. Not hot in spite of being a geek, but because of it. Being a nerd, it's not about what you love. It's about how you love it. Hey guys, this is Evan. And I'm Carissa. And welcome to the Lucky 10,000. The podcast that proves anybody can geek out about anything. Yeah. Now, up to this point, we've covered a lot of ground in the geek arena, sort of the standard geek arena. But if there's one thing I believe this podcast stands for, it's that as long as you are obsessive about something, you're geeking about it. Yeah. And uh, we've been taking turns uh, sort of educating the other person about certain things that we're passionate about. And this episode is my turn, and I was, you know, with knowing that Carissa is as, as geeky as she is, sometimes it's hard to find something that I think she might not know as much about as I do. <laughs> it's true. Um, in the geek world, you're very well-versed, let's just say. Well, thank you. You're welcome. But there are things that I think everyone is fascinated by, but that certain people are a little embarrassed about saying they're fascinated by. Now, I myself am not a violent person. I don't even like confrontation. I don't like seeing uh, uh, videos or, or hearing audio. I was just talking to somebody today about Grizzly Man. Have you seen that movie? No. Oh, you haven't seen Grizzly Man? Oh, my God. No, go see I have Grizzly Man. heard of it. Well, it's a Werner Herzog documentary about this guy, Timothy Treadwell, who used to uh, uh, go into this, this area of, I think, Colorado, where uh, it was sort of a, a preserve for grizzly bears. Okay. And he kind of did that very uh, human-like thing of sort of anthropomorphizing them a little bit and putting – reflecting himself back at him and these bears. And he would sure. go there every summer. And he – just him and his camera would document himself going there every summer until the fateful summer where he stayed a little bit too long and he and his new girlfriend got killed and eaten by a bear. So um, it's a fascinating documentary. If you get a chance, you should watch it because it's all his footage and it should be, you know, subtitled Grizzly Man Descent into Insanity. Okay. Because the longer he stays with these bears, the more delusional he gets about his relationship with them. Okay. And there's a scene where the director, because the camera was running when he was killed, uh, but the lens cap was on. So there's a scene where the director listens to the audio and then tells Timothy's friend whose mourning is lost, you know, destroy this. You can never let anyone hear this. And I just remember watching that scene going, I don't, I don't even want to hear that. It's just not in my makeup to want to hear someone dying like that. Although, do they not, so they don't. They never let you hear it. No, no, they well, don't. So for all you know, it doesn't actually sound like anything, and they played it up for a movie. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like, you're, oh, you're right. Oh, it, it might sound like, oh, like that tickles. Nothing. Stop yeah. it. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, they actually transcribe the audio. Um, you hear what they're saying, and you hear, you know, because the bear killed him first while the girlfriend stood there and tried to defend him and screamed. And then, you know, they said that there were various things that he was screaming while the bear was killing him. And then the bear came after his girlfriend. And it just doesn't sound pleasant. 
Okay. Not something to listen to your iPod while you're running. Yeah, on your jogging mix. Yeah. Although, Although it, might it, might, it might motivate you to run faster. <laughs> That's true. Like, oh, bears. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Hit it with a frying pan. Um, but just the, all that setup is just to say that this whole podcast is not going to be about my love for violence. However, I do think most people uh, have a fascination with the human mind in that there are certain areas and and places that the human mind can go that most reasonably normal people simply don't understand abnormal psychology yes yep. and that is why this podcast is about serial killers <laughs> Ew, ominous background music lightning strikes creepy doors I have had a fascination with the darker and morbid world for a long time and I don't know if that translates to me personally I don't normally consider myself acting like a dark and morbid person. I don't, you know, put eyeliner on every day and <laughs> tease my thinning hair and color it black. But I do enjoy, you know, as we said before, horror movies and very dark things. And I think a lot of it is there's always a fascination with seeing people display attributes that you yourself do not have. Okay. And the mindset of a serial killer has always been fascinating to me because I do appreciate life, but there's also an understanding there when you've just had enough. And there is definitely, you know, it's like watching that movie Falling Down. There's a sadistic glee you get in seeing somebody who has just had enough and they do the thing that you won't. Well, I think there's a difference that we should probably get to up front mm -hmm. in the breaking point spree killing sort of thing right and serial killers well there is definitely a huge difference between a mass murder per se or or a spree killing like columbine or something like that and serial killing obviously yeah. but there is always uh, uh when you get into the psychology of the serial killer of the person who usually has some sort of traumatic background that is reflected in the victims that they choose. You know, they always choose victims that are very similar to each other. And when they carry out their crimes, it's always very, in a very specific way. Um, usually sexually motivated. Um, but we can get into all the psychology later, but that sort of created my my fascination as i'm sure you have as well with sort of the darker corners of the human mind and and our sometimes violent responses to things mm -hmm. um and for me um there are certain people that stand out that i've read about and researched um and it all started you know when i really got really fascinated i mean who isn't fascinated for one with the granddaddy of all serial killers you know jack the ripper Mainly because it's unsolved. And that, to me, makes sense. Because that is just solving a puzzle. That's yeah. why I think a lot more people are fascinated with Jack the Ripper than are fascinated with a lot of other serial killers. Because they don't like the gore factor. They don't like the sadism. But they do like the constant query, the constant questions and puzzles that are presented by an unsolved crime. And, you know, I'm sure he's not technically the first serial killer in history but he's one of the first to ever be documented like he was definitely the first to do those things that we all sort of associate with them now taunting the authorities you know mm -hmm. wanting people to know what he was doing thinking he was a step ahead of everyone 
And so that sort of led to other things. Um, Zodiac, again, perfect example. I saw that movie many years ago, having not really known much about Zodiac at all. And again, that falls into that category of, especially in the modern age, how can this murder not be solved? How can these people not have any idea who this man is? And so, but that leads you down the sort of the rabbit hole of human psychology that leads to some of the other ones. So I guess we should just start off by talking about some of those guys and women. Okay. Um, and let's go with Jack the Ripper just to sure. start off. I he's became, a good place to start. He's a great place to start, especially with all sort of the side notes in history. Did you know that uh, that is where people say sneakers came from? Okay. No. Uh, well, it all had to do with the fact that once, I think the second or third, and he only killed prostitutes that we know of. Right. right now, there are five victims attributed to Jack the Ripper. They're all prostitutes. Um, and he did it in an area of of London known as Whitechapel, which was full of sort of the, the dregs of society. You know, people who had just had a shot at life at some point and either gave up or just had no other option than to go to this extremely full, full low-income housing. So it was, you know... A ghetto. It was our, the modern equivalent would be a ghetto, and mm-hmm. he was very smart in what he did. In that, because some people have theorized that he was a, a a man of high class. You know, obviously in the in the From Hell graphic novel, they they think he was a member of the royalty, which no one honestly believes. But <laughs> although it, makes, it was an incredibly good graphic novel, it was, and I didn't even hate the movie. No, actually, they did a. They did a pretty good job. It was, I liked it. It was well done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that whole nobody, honestly, that has done any research for more than five minutes into Jack the Ripper believes it was one of the royals. Um, but that is that sort of, I think, indicative of people's desire to see or fascination with a dark side is that you the, the idea permeated because there are these people that have the best of everything that are privileged and you still get fascinated with the idea that even they can have this sadistic, awful dark side. Right. So that's what captured people's imagination, but nobody really thinks it's true. Um, but where sneakers came into play is that once people realized that these people, these women were being killed by the same person, uh, a lot of people, you know, they didn't. A lot of people in the Whitechapel area didn't think the police were doing enough. And so there's a lot of you know those old cobblestone streets and. They had the hard shoes. People would start uh, putting rubber onto the soles in front of their shoes so that they could hopefully sneak around and catch whoever was doing it without making a sound. Huh. And that eventually, according to my research, translated into sneakers, and that's why they're called sneakers. That's that's actually fascinating, and I can't believe that I didn't already know that. I didn't know that until I started doing more research because it's not – you know, people you know, it's like, what's the most fascinating thing about Jack the Ripper? Shoes. You know, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, I was researching for a Sherlock Holmes play I was doing. And, you know, obviously Sherlock Holmes w- was technically around that time. And that's what kind of pulled me in to the Jack the Ripper mystery. And I, of course, I knew it was unsolved. But I just didn't know many details. Right. Um, I also didn't know. Uh, his third victim, I think, either third or fourth, Catherine Eddowes, um, was 
killed wearing a shawl, and they sort of kept the shawl for evidence because it had blood on it mm-hmm. and a lot of other things. <laughs> right. A lot of other sundry chemicals from the human body, and it is still in existence. There is someone to this very day that has that shawl. Really? Like yes. a private collector? A private collector, yes. I think it ended up going to auction. So that's, you know, whenever people say they've traced who they think the Ripper is due to DNA or anything like that, they're always referring to, well, we got a little bit of blood off the shawl. Huh. Yeah. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating to know that this is a piece of history. And I'm not trying to put Jack the Ripper on a pedestal or saying that anybody that did what he did was on a pedestal. But you can't deny, just like the mystery of Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster, it is a fascinating mystery. Yeah. What is your relationship to Jack the Ripper? Oh, he was my great-great-great-grandfather twice removed. No. Um, oh. Well, there you go. Mystery <laughs> solved. Uh, yeah, thank you guys him. for listening. Uh, honestly, I don't know, because who doesn't know about Jack the Ripper? I know. There's no, one that, there's no one that doesn't know, but what I find interesting is a lot of people really don't know what he did. Because he's um, become sort of romantic. Because that era is romanticized a lot by people, even though I would never want to live in Victorian England. No. The clothes. Like, you, you would want to live there if you were super rich, because... Like, but even the super rich could smell the stench coming <laughs> off of London. And yes, even the super rich could true. get cholera. <laughs> you know? That is absolutely true. And they didn't have TV. Well, I mean, that's they didn't have the internet, which is a way bigger deal to me. That's true. Um, I guess, I don't know. I think at some point, because I minored in psychology in mm-hmm. college, so at some point you start studying abnormal psych and oh, sure. serial killers are the easiest to look at and look the easiest for. to look at but like in your experience the easiest to look at but possibly the hardest to understand or was it typical that there was a pattern and like i said before usually there was a trauma related in childhood that sort of comes back in the way they dispatch or choose their victims and wait i mean statistically and statistics are just another kind of lie but statistically sure. yes there are general themes that link ser- most serial killers um, but it is harder to profile than like Hollywood would oh, absolutely. have us believe absolutely but yeah there there are similarities that can be exploited for I, I don't know if understanding is the way to say this but for research <laughs> because as human beings are normal mm-hmm. as opposed to abnormal psychology is not to kill one another right i mean <laughs> like, usually murder isn't illegal because it's illegal it's illegal because it's wrong it's one right. of those things that we just know as a species in general this is something that is simply wrong yeah it all goes back to empathy you know i'm not a religious person so i'm not the kind of person that believes that we would be killing each other all the time had a mystical being not come down and said hey stop yeah we all recognize i mean and this is i think you know biologically yes we recognize members of our own species are not to be taken out of the gene pool like you just don't do that exactly. unless there's a, unless there's an actual threat or cause exactly yeah you could trace it back to evolution and say you know if our species is going to survive we cannot start knocking each other off and that translates i think a lot of time into empathy you know a child who sees 
uh, uh, the the mutant ninja turtles hitting each other on TV he goes that looks like fun and then this first time they get hit they go oh that sucks yeah I don't want to do that to other people because that sucks uh, a lot of serial killers just simply don't have that ability well there's there's something some missing them, in the empathy region and the though recently sociopathy and psychopathy psychopathy sociopathy. No, I said it right the first time. Right. Sociopathy and psychopathy uh, have more clearly been combined. They are not different right. psychologically. They are technically the same. But before very recent changes to that mentality, there was the consideration of what makes it what makes a psychopath different from a sociopath. Right. And there are, even now that they have been kind of combined into the same antisocial behavior Mm -hmm. disorders Uh, there are still slight differences between what we would still connotatively consider a sociopath and connotatively consider a psychopath and the lack of empathy is one generally associated with sociopathy yes the inability to feel for another human right or another being of any sort right Um, psychopaths don't haven't typically tended to lack empathy in the same way that sociopaths do. They have empathy and the capacity for human compassion, but they detach that human compassion from whomever is their victim. Right, which is why so you see a lot of serial their killers. Victims. Right, and, and it's directed specifically at their victims because what you do see is a lot of those serial killers have families and children and they're loving Husbands, wives, parents. And and not just pretending to be that. They actually are that. And then there's this whore over here that they have to kill. Mm -hmm. She's not human. She is something completely different. She is an object that represents some greater truth to this person. And there isn't a need for empathy because to them, there isn't a human link there. Right. So that is kind of a slight difference between like what a sociopathic serial killer would or do it is simply an object that it, I think some in some cases um, it is an object that represents a trauma that occurred that they are actively trying to out of anger, rage, whatever yeah. sort of stomp out of their lives. Yes, you know it, the the whole reason that Psycho worked as a movie is because it had a lot of truth in human behavior. As far as the overbearing mother turns her fragile child so terrified of the opposite sex that he gets that same gratification from penetrating them with a knife as opposed to something else. Yes. Um, So that is a fascinating act because it also makes you, I think the other thing that fascinates people about it is how much, you know, it's like that great line from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when he's talking to uh, the French guy at the beginning and after he thinks Marianne has died and the guy's telling him that, you know, they're not that different and he said you know it wouldn't take much to push you out of the light i think there's always an inherent human questioning of we can look at this and say that we can distance ourselves from it but how close are we in general to doing something like that what would it take and especially since i also think there's a fascination with any sort of real world evil that you can't quickly identify it's the fear of the unknown because what's another trait of all these killers every time you find one what do all the people that know them say they always say the same thing he was so nice he was so nice he was a great neighbor 
worked at the church a lot, yeah. you know. So there's a fascination with that. Now, going back to Jack the Ripper and starting us down this duck journey, the fascination with him is we don't know anything about him. There are so many suspects. There are so many people that people have latched on to. Most recently, um, someone believes they have DNA proof of a guy named Aaron Kosminski, who was a butcher in Whitechapel and had been committed in an, in an asylum for being violently insane. Um, the butcher thing, people love to latch on to because the way Jack the Ripper handled his victims was very surgeon or butcher-like. And, you know... He lived in Whitechapel, and he was nuts. So it's easy for people to go, ah, him. But the hard thing about somebody like Jack the Ripper is there were tons of those types of people in Whitechapel. Yeah. It was not Disney World. Right. So really, you could point your finger at anyone in Whitechapel and go, oh, they fit the profile. Because they were all sort of sundry people that, you know, maybe sometimes had to kill to survive. And yeah, that's very specious to me. <laughs> I don't. I mean, if they could actually prove DNA connections, because obviously they know where this guy was buried. They could pull a piece of his body and compare it. But again, you know, one of the reasons DNA evidence, it's great, but it's very hard is because especially with an item as old as Catherine Eddowes shawl, who knows what other people's DNA has been on? Mm-hmm. It's been handled by all sorts of people, somebody who might have some sort of distant connection to Aaron Kosminski. You know, there's no... The the sad thing about Jack the Ripper, there's no... We're never going to be 100% sure who did it. But it's the mystery that keeps us riveted to it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he... Like I said, he did do all those things. You know, he taunted the police with a letter. Um, a lot of people did, but they could prove uh, one letter in particular was definitely Jack the Ripper's because a piece of that woman was accompanied the letter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you kind of can't deny, oh yeah, that's got to be him. Um, so there's that fascination, and we do have a fascination with the past and a fascination with London from around that time because of sure. things like Sherlock Holmes, and you know we always get that idea of the smoky cobblestone streets and the taverns and the, you know, hello, love, you well, know, the Victorian the, era has always held a measure of fascination to Americans, especially. Absolutely, absolutely. So there's him, and there's you know, and but when you actually start looking into it, they have pictures of some of his victims. And when you see what he actually did, especially to the last woman that they could attribute to him, mm-hmm. because the whole thing about his victims leading up to the last one was that he had to, you know, it, it's easy to get a hooker to walk into a dark corner with you in Victorian England. Right. What's not so easy is doing everything you want to do to her without somebody interrupting. Right. So he had to do it quickly. The last one that he murdered, he actually was in the room with her, a private room with her, and was able to take his time yep. and do everything that he wanted, which was basically an autopsy. Yeah. And uh, one, the, there was a couple of close calls. Um, there's a good witness account of someone uh, hearing a, a noise, like someone was bumping against their wooden fence in the back of their yard, and it was a tall fence. So they heard what they thought was just some bumping around or a noise and heard voices. And then, you know, within an hour, uh, there I think was a dead woman there. There was a dead woman there. Yep. So somebody was right next to someone getting murdered, basically, and had no idea. But that mystery will always pervade Jack the Ripper, that idea of the guy in the top hat with the cape 
that you can't quite see his face because it's dark and there's no good source of light and he's just yep. creeping around London streets. And, you know, they attributed five murders to him, but like every other serial killer, there's probably tons more. Um, especially if he lived in an area where, A, people didn't really care about the people in Whitechapel very much. You know, someone died in Whitechapel, I was like, oh, yeah, somebody died in Whitechapel. Boo-hoo. Moving on. Right. You know, it was only the uproar over the fact that this turned out to be, you know, someone who was targeting people that, that it even became news. Yeah. And so there is that that appeal, too, of sort of the, the lower classes making their voices heard. And it just, it's just got everything for a great mystery story. So many books, plays, movies have been written about it or referenced it, that there's a reason that it has become, you know, the most famous case. But it's not the most interesting. I don't think, personally. Okay. What do Hang you think is second. the most interesting? Okay. Um, we'll get to who I think is the most interesting. Uh, okay. But the next best-known unsolved case, we go to the Zodiac. Now, how much do you know about the Zodiac? Um, effectively, the Wikipedia page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I highly recommend the movie. It's wonderful. Okay. And, you know, it's got some heavy hitters in there. Mark Ruffalo, Robert Downey Jr., Jake Gyllenhaal, directed by David Fincher. Uh, definitely worth a look. Based on the novels of the character that Jake Gyllenhaal por- portrays in the movie. And the movie does point to a particular suspect. Okay. That, again, because we have this human need to solve the puzzles that we're given, seems so obvious when you see the movie that you go... It can't not be this guy. But that's because the author thought it was that guy. Right. So as it happens with so many mysteries, we sort of rejigger the past and the facts to line up the way we want them to. But uh, in some areas of California in the 70s, um, there was a a couple at uh, Lover's Point who was gunned down in their car. Both of them died. Mm -hmm. Um. Then it happened again, and uh, another couple, young couple, was shot, but the man in the couple survived. Then it happened again, where another young couple was sunbathing next to a lake, uh, just having a picnic, and a man, this is where he starts to get truly sinister. Because, you know, he was definitely uh, scary at that point. Well, I mean, A, because he just killed people randomly, but B, because he did... There's a recording of his voice somewhere calling 911 and telling them uh, that he was reporting a double homicide. This was the second attack, so he thought both of them were dead. Okay. And uh, telling them, uh, oh, by the way, I'm the guy that killed those kids last year, too. Bye. And hung up the phone, which okay. is just creepy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then he becomes the Zodiac for real and becomes sort of a a force for nightmares and the lake killing because that was the first time it was a it was broad daylight it was a sunny afternoon and these two teenagers having a picnic the girl and the couple sees someone on the other side of this hill dressed head to toe in black okay um the guy next to her says don't worry about it he's just some kook or something and then he, she looks again, and he's gone. Then she looks, okay. up, then she looks up again a minute later, and he's basically right on top of them. Okay. Uh, he's got 
like black bag mask over his head. He, he only the eye holes are cut out. He's dressed head to toe in black. He's got a belt with knives and a gun in it, and uh, he has a zodiac symbol. What became known as the zodiac symbol for him on his on his shirt. Okay. Um, he tells them to roll over on their stomachs and he ties them up. He tells them he's going to kill them. No, he tells them he's going to rob them. So they're as calm as they can possibly be. And the guy especially who is eerily calm, uh, just because I think that's his personality, says, okay, man, that's cool. Just take the keys and go. And all of a sudden, he sees a knife at the corner of his eye and feels it plunging into his back over and over and over again. Then when the Zodiac thinks he's dead, he proceeds to go to move on to the woman and stabs her over and over and over again. Again, the man survives. So that's how we know the details of the story. And if you right. get a chance, you know, YouTube these guys and they will you will see video recreation, not recreations, but them actually telling the stories. And it's pretty chilling. Um, the girl bled out and died. The guy was saved. And uh, again, he attacked in every case, he always attacks the woman with a little bit more ferocity than he attacks the man. Okay. Um, then the next murder attributed to him is a cab driver. Just a random cab driver. I think this was what Zodiac did, though, to pull a Jack the Ripper and to prove, because he starts sending these ciphers right. to newspapers. Three ciphers, three different uh, 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 papers, three different ciphers that he says, if they can solve them, will solve the riddle of who the zodiac is and didn't he say like he threatened them right if you don't publish this i'll just start killing everybody yes yes in fact he said that he was going to he sends a letter with a piece of the cab driver's shirt because he just gets a cab he goes to this very residential area of of california and before he gets out of the cab he just shoots the guy in the back of the head um, two kids living in a house across the street from where the cab is see this happen, but it's dark, so they can't necessarily identify the man. They just know that he was a large man with sort of horn-rimmed glasses and very short hair. And he gets into the front of the cab, rips off a piece of the cab driver's shirt, and then leaves the scene. Um, this is one of those, oh my god, I can't believe this happened moments, where as he's walking away, the kids call and say that a murder was committed. Whoever they call heard them wrong and thought that they were fingering a black man right. as the suspect. Well, because of course they were. Because they had to be, right? So as he's walking away, he runs into two police officers who question him a little bit and then continue on because this isn't a black man, so this can't be our suspect. Right. Had they changed that description and a couple of minutes later, they were like, oh, no, no, we got our bad. It was a white guy. And so these two officers are like, well, shit. Yeah. And they couldn't really, you know, the most you ever saw of like people trying to identify the Zodiac was, you know, a very nondescript white guy with kind of short military style hair and horn rim glasses. He had no really distinguishing features. He could easily blend into a crowd of people. He just looked bland and bleh. So then... Uh, I'm having a problem remembering who his last murder victim was that they were able to attribute to him. Um, but basically, uh, the the smart thing that the Zodiac did, and I don't, I've never known whether this was on purpose or not. Um, he killed people in three different jurisdictions in California. 
so that when the police went to investigate the cases, they each had different pieces of evidence right. that they did not share with each other because yeah. they wanted to be the ones to solve the case. Exactly. So hubris and racial profiling were the things that stopped the Zodiac from being caught. The more things change. Exactly. Um, and there is a video of the man that this movie and these books point to as the suspect. Uh, uh, in the 90s, I think, one of the last interviews the guy ever made because he died of a heart attack not long after, uh, being asked if he was a Zodiac. And this guy just seemed perfect. He had a watch that said Zodiac on it. They investigated his trailer at one point, And, you know, it was not a nice, pleasant place to be. He had, you know, birds in his freezer and refrigerator. He had cages of, of really badly cared for animals. He had, and this is saying a thing with a lot of serial killers, he had a bunch of dildos under his bed. Um, because a lot of times they're, like I said, we're killing because they can't seem to get exactly what they need through normal sexual relations and this is how they get their 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 kicks their their needs fulfilled and so they resort to a lot of different kinds of things which one negative i will say in all the serial killer documentaries i've watched is they a lot of these people usually the men were at some point experimenting with bdsm and i think a lot of people try and point that out um and i think go a little too far (laughs) Yeah. With showing it as some perversion and some unnatural thing and trying to connect it to these guys' psychological state. Yeah. Um, I think that has nothing to do with them eventually ending up deciding they have to kill people. But, you know, anything that's slightly out of the norm, people look sideways at. Yes. Um, but so that but they could never definitively pin any evidence on him they had letters they had stamps they had all this stuff that again they tried to pull dna off of but in the era before dna was really a widely done thing again these letters were handled by so many people yeah who were not taking care to make sure that dna wasn't corrupted that there's just no way to connect it so if you ever get a chance and i may even put this on the on the website when I put up the episode, uh, Arthur Lee Allen is the guy that they point to okay. in the books and the movie. Um, and he seems, there's a great documentary that accompanied the Zodiac DVD about him. I mean, you watch that documentary and you're instantly like, oh, that's the guy. But it's also a lot like watching Loose Change, the 9-11 <laughs> conspiracy documentary, and going, oh, it was a conspiracy. Because all you're getting is what the documentary tells you. Or JFK. Or, or JFK, yeah. Right. So if you're only getting one person's viewpoint, of course you're going to think that that's the killer. I don't yes. necessarily think he's the killer anymore, but man, it was just fascinating to watch a modern interview with this guy who was still in the interview refuting you know, the fact that he was the Zodiac. So those are the big unsolved ones. Those are the ones that really sort of grab you and pull you in because they're unsolved. Right. Then you get into sort of the darker uh, 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 themes of serial killing, and even when the person is caught, it's almost even more of an intriguing mystery because they just seem so normal. And the beauty of the modern era is if someone is caught doing these sort of things, you get to see their interrogations. You get to see them interviewed by the press if they become popular. I mean, if you watch a Ted Bundy or a Jeffrey Dahmer interview, Mm -hmm. there's this look 
yep. that they have that is just bone chilling in how perfunctory they talk about all their murders. Yep. And, you know, but they also have, as a lot of sociopaths and psychopaths do, a great ability to charm. Yes. And to lull you into a false sense of security. Ted Bundy was a very smart man. Master. He was a master. Very good looking man. Eh, if you're into that. Yeah, if you're into chiseled good looks. Um, and uh, he, I saw an interview with him where, you know, I don't know if I would have been able to identify that something was off with him if I didn't already know he was a serial killer. He was incredibly charismatic. Um, but I, one piece in the documentary that really fascinated me that I watched about him was in court. And the people that were at court, because he, you know, killed, oh, I think 30 something women over his time. Um, Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs is based a lot on him and right. his methods. Like it's a mix between uh, Ted Bundy and Ed Gein. Right. And uh, Ed Gein's another one that's pretty fascinating. Another perfect example of the guy that was just, eh, it's just Ed. Yep. Just good old good Ed. Good old Ed. <laughs> <laughs> Little odd. Little off. Always shows up at the bar with blood on his hands and talking to himself, wearing a lady's dress. <laughs> but, you know, we're his old Ed. Um, there was a moment, they said, uh, in he, he, it just seems like such great fodder for a movie. He decided to defend himself in court. Ted Bundy did. Yes. And he was such a smart man. He knew the law. He actually was doing a pretty decent job, but I think he was dead from, from the get-go. Yes. But there was a moment when he had a detective on the stand and asked the detective to go through the murder scene that he found. And they had some jury members on this documentary, and they said the look that came on his face when the detective started detailing what he saw at this murder scene. Mm -hmm. It was like he never even asked that question for them. He just wanted to hear it all. Hear about it? Yeah. Yeah. No, that probably it, didn't help us. Say case. it slower. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can you uh, can you act it out? Uh, you, female juror number three, can you lay on the floor in a way that he's saying that? <laughs> and pretend to be a dead body. Yeah. You know, I'm just gonna put my hands around your neck just to help act it out. Mother, mother. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. I rest my case. Someone clean up that body off the floor, please. Right. Um, yeah, and again, a lot of these guys have severe mother issues. Severe. Uh, his mother uh, lied to him for many years. He thought that his, I think his aunt was his mother, and it turned out that, or he thought his grandmother was his mother. I don't know. She lied to him about who his mother was, basically, but still stayed in his life. Mm -hmm. And then he found out who that she was his mother, and that sort of internal betrayal... Also an interesting sort of path down what makes a serial killer. Uh, I heard someone talk about in this documentary. Um, an abnormal psychologist said that, you know, we're, we're still trying to find the thing that makes someone a serial killer. And it's a combination of factors. There is obviously some form of chemical imbalance. But she also made the point that lots of people have that same chemical imbalance and don't go killing people. Right. There's childhood trauma and then she made she, you know she basically said but there are lots of people that have that same sort of childhood trauma that don't go killing people it's the mixture of the two it's the perfect storm of the chemicals being off just enough and 
something happening when you're young just enough to push you over that edge and that's what can create a killer and Ted Bundy fit the the profile perfectly well it is significantly more complex than that but but in the simplest way possible to say you get a killer with a perfect combination of factors in that that's why you know a lot of other people who suffer through the same kind of things that they suffer through don't decide to rid themselves of it by going out and killing people <laughs> yeah like you can have a really shitty childhood and not grow up to be a serial killer mm-hmm. because your brain chemistry is not right for that. Like right. you, regardless of what environmental factors might link some or most or many serial killers, if you have experiences that are objectively identical, but you are not crazy, mm-hmm. you are not going to be a serial killer. That was exactly her point. She just said yeah. it in a slightly different way. Yeah. You you have to have a fucked up brain chemistry. Yes. To begin with, like that that is the first. Oh, part. absolutely. The absolutely. rest of it can come and go. Those things can be present, and it not you not be at risk. For it's that. like having some sort of dormant root under the ground that, when the right seed is applied, it springs out. You know. Yep. Um. So those are the typical ones that we find, and they're all fascinating in their own way. And again, I'm not celebrating what they did. No, no. Uh, I think it's deplorable. But as if to prove that most people have a fascination with this, I pulled up some links before that we started recording, and one of them was I wanted a link on Jeffrey Dahmer. So okay. I went to Google, and I typed in the name Jeffrey, and his was the first name that came up. I can't be the only person that's fascinated by it. Um, it's just that I think there are certain people that find it interesting and then there are certain people that go digging. Yeah. And I'm a digger. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, we've only talked about men. There are definitely women out there who have done it. Yeah. One of my favorite serial killer favorite. One of my favorites. I've got a poster <laughs> on my wall. Um, one of the most interesting. Serial Are you going to say Elizabeth Bathory? I am going to say Elizabeth Bathory. Then take the wheel. Okay, I'm actually surprised how long it took me to hear about her because mm-hmm. of what she did. Like she's not unknown. <laughs> she's not unknown, but she's definitely not one of the most known. The only reason I know about her is because I used to listen to this podcast called What You Missed in History Class. Okay. And for Halloween one year, their podcast was titled The Baroness of Blood. Yes. And so I listened to that and went, how have I never heard of this woman? Yeah. Maybe the most prolific serial killer in history. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> Almost ever. Yes. It's fascinating. Because female serial killers are First of all, rare, yeah. much more rare even than male serial killers mm-hmm. who are already extremely rare. But she was the super serial killer. Oh, yeah. And I was commenting well, as I was preparing for this podcast as well. I asked Kay if there were any serial killers that he had found particularly fascinating. Um, and I'll bring that one up in a minute. And he was like, gave me his answer. He's like, how about you? And I was like, uh, fucking blood countess, dude. She was the best. Yeah. And we kind of started talking about how people don't seem to know about her. They don't. Despite how fucking much she killed people. And my comment was basically, um, she's like in the Guinness Book of World Records. So 
really, she's not unknown. She has a world record. She's actually literally famous for this. But people tend to just not have her on their mind. I right. don't know. And, and but, what's interesting to her to me is that her methods – I don't know that it necessarily came from childhood trauma or, or, or some sort of twisted worldview. I think it came from power and the ability to, without worry of consequence, enact every awful thing. I mean, I'm not saying she wasn't fucked up. Obviously, she was. Yes. But instead of it being this perfect combination of things that led her to seek out a specific victim, it became availability. It's like, I feel like killing somebody. I'll go down to the town that I own and get myself a new servant that I will eventually tire of and torture and kill. Here's the thing. So her thing for anybody who happens to just not know about her, uh, she was a countess. She was in Hungary. Mm -hmm. She got engaged to be married in an arranged marriage at 10 or something. Yeah. So she was super young. She got pregnant by one of the porters in their castle. Yeah. Uh, her much older husband had the porter castrated and killed and fed to the dogs, sent her away to have to give birth and then killed the baby. Uh, so Which, she's that in, would fuck a person up, yes. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> so she's she's in this castle in Hungary. What was Hungary at the time? Um, I think the borders have changed now, but it yeah. was Hungary then. So we'll just call it Hungary. And her now. husband died at one point. Well, I'm sure. <laughs> That well, I don't think she killed him. I think it was a was it in a war? She was able to rule over his acreage that yeah, included he, some towns on it for a long time without him. He had some sort of disabling illness that eventually yeah. killed him, and she was only like forty, yeah. maybe when she when he died. And supposedly so, yeah, she just, just gorgeous. Yes, and was accounted exceptionally beautiful. Well, so she, of course, she rules, so she has a lot of serfs and land mm-hmm. and area but seriously she ended up killing confirmed 80 young women i have heard bigger numbers than that it is it is theorized that she killed upwards of 650 600. young women yeah 650 people yeah. Yeah, not just people specifically pretty young women yes she would invite these you know poor girls to come be her servants and of course you do that we mean if you are poor (laughs) you become the countess's servant because that is how your family gets out of being poor like you do that there's it's an offer but it's not an offer right exactly uh so she would invite these women to come be her servants or whatever and then she would torture kill them and bathe in their blood to keep herself young and beautiful now from what I know of her, the thing that is the mo- the least confirmed is that she actually did bathe in their blood. Um, a lot of people say that could be just legend sort of gotten out of hand. But there is a very specifically told story about one of her servant girls brushing her hair and pulling her hair. And uh, Bathory getting upset, turning around and punching the girl where her lip bled and it landed on Elizabeth Bathory's hand and she looked at it and thought that it did have some sort of rejuvenating quality Mm -hmm. and also just the sheer cruel creativity that she employed yeah and I don't mean like she tortured and killed them I mean she fucking tortured and tortured nobody knew how to torture people like 
anyone in Europe a couple of hundred years yeah. ago. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but like, and the weirdest part of this, did you get to the part about her deformed midget buddy? No. She had a deformed yeah. midget buddy. Yes. And a very loyal female servant. And first of all, you want to know, where do you get a deformed midget buddy? Be in Eastern Europe in the 14th century. Sure. 15th, sure. 15th century, sorry. Uh, yeah. Well, they said she, it was between 1585 and 1610 that they think she did it. So 15th, 16th century. Uh, I mean, 16th, 17th century. Um, yes. Wow. I can totally do math. Yes. <laughs> what you said. Um, but yeah, the, the most, and you may have heard this one, I don't know, the most bizarre, and again, this really suits itself for legend because there are certain points in certain parts of the story that are pretty much verified. Lots of women disappeared, never to return around the time of her rule. And, you know, there are a lot of witness corroboration um, to a lot of the things that they say happened. But just one of the creepiest things I've ever heard, and serial killers usually don't get to me. I don't get afraid of them. But... This, one of the stories I heard was that one of their servant girls, they stripped naked and put her in this cage that was on some, some chains, and they had spikes in the ceiling. And so they just slow – while she was sitting there watching, her one faithful female servant started slowly pulling this cage up towards the ceiling. Mm-hmm. This poor naked girl alive in this cage seeing these spikes get closer and closer while her little deformed midget buddy was shouting insults at her. Mm-hmm. How is that? My mind can't even compute that. No. For its absolute cruelty, but also is absolutely fascinated by it. Yeah, because because we simply can't put ourselves there. No. Like there's just no way to insert our internalization of how we get along as human beings <laughs> into that, which objectively happened. Like, that's a yeah. thing that is real. No one made that up. It's not fiction. I right. Mean, some of it is fictionally sure. embellished, sure. But the serious facts of the matter are facts of the matter. A human being did this. Yes. How? Like, that's... And to get that much joy out of it. Yeah. Not just, I'm angry and in my fit of rage, I'm going to hurt you and kill you. It was like, this was a game. This was fun. This was Saw before Saw. And a much better version of Saw, actually. Yeah. I'd rather watch Elizabeth Bathory Saw than the real Saw movies. Right. Today. So, yeah, there's this, you know, it has everything. Why it's not more widely known, I have no idea. Um, most people, if you say, hey, have you ever heard of Elizabeth Bathory? They will have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And, like, once you tell them, their eyes get big and they just go, that happened? Yeah. And you go, fuck yeah, it happened. Yeah. So she's one of my favorites because... It happened so long ago, and so many people think that serial killing is a new yes. thing, uh, which it is not. Um, and she, so it was a long time ago. Well, she doesn't. She was also a woman. Easily fit into a serial no, killer mold. Not at all. She she had everything she could possibly have wanted, like right for a woman of that time. Yes. I think it there was a combination of a lot of different things, um, yeah. and you know how she finally fucked up. The story goes that because all these people were serfs, 
Nobody really cared about putting that much effort into finding out what happened to them. Obviously, their families and friends, I'm sure. But what power did they have? None. Right. None. So she apparently in town heard the daughter of a nobleman sing and loved her voice so much she invited this girl to come up to the house to sing for her privately. Yes. And the girl got a note wrong because she was nervous, understandably. Mm-hmm. And in a fit of rage, Bathory killed her. Yeah. So it's also kind of a great uh, sort of class statement. Yeah. It's that you kill anybody you want until you fuck with a noble family. Yeah. And that's when your whole world falls apart. Yeah, and historically, that's largely been true. Yeah. Oh, very much so. I mean, again, maybe embellished, hyperbolic perhaps, but still, you can get away with doing anything until you do it to somebody who can afford oh. to take you down for it's it. It's like the White Castle stuff. It's like the the, the, the ghettos in the middle, uh, lower middle class today. Of course, the cops are going to investigate it, but if something happens to a politician, their wife or their child – do you think the cops are going to continue looking for the guy that got gunned down in the ghetto? Right. So it's still in place. Not as bad as it once was, but it's still in place. So, yeah, she's fascinating. And why there haven't been more movies made about her, I have no idea. I don't know. So I have two others that I want to mention. Yeah, go for it. And the reason that I like that these three in particular, I want to mention Elizabeth Bathory because fucking the blood countess she's awesome yeah right. uh, the second one is carl denke yes i know the name uh refresh me he was from germany if his uh-huh. name not give it away uh in the late 1800s was he a cannibal he was oh i think i do know who you're talking about um, he was actually technically uh, prussian i think yeah which is slightly interesting to me because my family background is also prussian okay so, you know but I'm impressed. <laughs> the, th- ha, ha, ha. the thing about Carl Denke that's interesting to me is that almost all, at least male serial killers, mm-hmm. there is at least some measure of sexual gratification to yes. their serial killing. Absolutely. Carl Denke is one of the few who killed many mm-hmm. and did not have a sexual component to his serial killing. Well, see, and I don't know that much about him. Educate me. It's There's not like a huge amount known about him except that he was incredibly well liked by his community he played of course. in the church he we just thought family. he was so nice he, he was, was such so a good nice. neighbor um he got caught because he got arrested after a man stumbled into the police headquarters in his town like gaping wounds saying that he had just been attacked at his own home yeah with an axe <laughs> By this well-known, well-loved, organ-playing churchgoer. Yes. And the police were like, yeah, no, you weren't. But he was clearly bleeding and had been attacked with an axe. Right. So he was taken for medical assistance and the police had to investigate. So they went to Denke's home and he, there was there were pieces of human flesh and organs in jars, curing. <laughs> uh, he had like written down like a very detailed ledger detailing the like 40 some odd people that he had actively killed and eaten. Yeah. Just in the last few years or several years before that, he apparently traveler from France. Yes. me. Yes. See, moving on Australian needed spice. Yeah. He, they don't know this for sure. I don't think, or at least I haven't read any new information that said that they proved this or not. 
that he used to sell human meat at market. Would not surprise me at all. How would yeah. you know? You, I mean, you wouldn't. This was you, uh, a gazelle. Yeah, until I've you, you know, contracted brain disease from eating human flesh. Yeah. You do. Um, and then two days after he was arrested, he, hang, he hanged himself in his cell. Oh. And there was nothing sexual about it. He was just, he was killing them to eat them, cure their shit for belts and stuff. Right. And then sell it at market. And because he killed himself right after he got caught, nobody knows why he did it. Nobody knows what his, like, what's the deal with the eating people? <laughs> why are you making belts? We sell perfectly good belts made out of cows. Like, what's the deal? But do you sell belts made out of Belgians? Right. And so nobody knows. So again, solved because he had a very detailed ledger. Right. <laughs> but totally also unsolved because who who the fuck does that? Almost no one. I mean, even in the world of serial killing, that's one of the reasons. Yes. That the Dahmer case got the sensationalism it did is because he did go that extra step. And to him, I think it was a partially sexual thing. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, consuming someone else so that they would never leave your side, well, or your guts, um, right. until you shit them out anyway. But, yeah. yeah. Um, I actually heard an interview today on a radio show. I found a clip on YouTube where they interviewed the uh, lead detective who was investigating and interviewing Jeffrey Dahmer for weeks. And the story the guy tells is just riveting. I can't do it justice. This guy is such a. And unfortunately, since this interview, he has passed away, but he was very likable. And the story he tell in this radio interview, they had he was there because there was a documentary coming out about Dahmer where they interviewed him. And the director and editor of that movie was also in the room. Never says a word because this guy's story was so compelling. Everyone was just riveted to it. Okay. So. Definitely, I recommend you watch it if you have any interest in it at all. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. fascinating this guy's story about knowing Jeffrey Dahmer and investigating the case, and when he first got to the apartment and everything that sort of led to his capture and the type of person he was and how this guy felt about him. It's oh god, it's fascinating. So, who else you got? The last one was um, case suggestion. His not favorite, but the one that he is most interested in. Uh-huh. His reasoning being, because he's the fucking creepiest, Yeah. is Albert Fish. Ah, yes. Albert Fish. Tell me about him. Uh, he was really fucking creepy. Okay. <laughs> um, well, his last name was Fish. He was. had some damage. It was Fish. Hey, Fish um, Face! He, he was known at the time as the Boogeyman. Nice. Um, so he was born late 1800s, died 1936. Okay. He was a child rapist and cannibal. Wow. He personally proclaimed that he had uh, about 100, but nobody d- really knows if that was true and whether or not he was referring to actual eating or just yeah. raping children. Yeah. But the thing that, that Kay brought up as to why he was the creepiest is that he like kidnapped a girl. Okay. A girl, 
and uh, did things to like ate her. He ate her. Oh my god. Uh, but he kidnapped her under some sort of specious, like, hey, you should come and hang out right. with me and whatever. And then he wrote her parents a letter oh God. that her mother couldn't read because she was illiterate. So oh God. the girl's brother had to read it to her. Oh, my God. And it is very disturbing. See, this is why I don't know this guy. Um, that is the one thing, like when I'm searching out documentaries of interesting people to learn about, as soon as it says they did this to kids, I'm like, I, I can't, I can't. Yeah. Like he goes into very excruciating detail about like what he did during the day and like how awesome it is to eat children and stuff. Ugh. And then, but he makes very, the last two lines are why it is creepier even than the rest of it. All right. I'm trying to prepare myself. Okay. Okay. Go. I will leave out all the details, just the last bit. Yes. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. I did not fuck her, though I could have if I wished. She died a virgin. Oh. It was important to him that she know that. Yeah. That her daughter was still... Was it written politely? <laughs> yes. Hello. Hope your day is fine. By the way... <laughs> like, it's written kind of the way... Just to... You know, when people would write letters to one another yeah. about just the most banal details of their day. Ugh. It's written like that, except it's about eating children. Well, that is the thing that you find, especially, like I said, in the modern era, when you actually can watch these people. Uh, one of the most interesting interview tapes I've ever seen is from a guy named Kemper Arnold. Do you know him? No. He was the uh, sorority row killer. Um, again, severe mom issues. Um, which he enacted on by picking up women, kidnapping them off college campuses. And he ended up killing, I think, including his grandparents, which were the first people he killed, I think eight or nine before he came home. His mother was in bed and he was talking to her and she said something that just was finally the last straw for him. And he left the room, came back with a hammer and bashed her head in and then turned himself in. And there is an interview with him on YouTube. I don't even know if he's been put to death yet. I can't remember if he was in a state that even had the death penalty. He may still be in jail. The things that make him fascinating, because obviously he was not as prolific as a lot of the other people we talked about. Mm -hmm. But the things that make him fascinating are, A, he was very friendly with a lot of the local policemen. He was a big guy, but everyone just kind of thought he was a big bear, you know, just a big huggy bear. And he hung out at a very popular bar where policemen were all the time. What was his name? Kemper Arnold. Okay. And if you look him up on YouTube, there is an interview with him where he details what he did. And he says it in such a cold, matter-of-fact way that I don't believe in spirits of good and evil i just believe if you're the kind of person that would do something like that you have severe issues but there is something very chilling about someone telling you what they did to another human being as if they were telling you how to make an omelet yeah um same way with the green river killer when he was finally caught and he was a big you know in fact on my other podcast the bearded ones podcast we had uh Recently, a few episodes ago, Carrie Adams, Carolyn Adams, who just came out with a novel by Simon and Schuster called, uh, uh, I'll have to remember the name. Anyway, um, she uh, she was fascinated with the Green River Killer because he lived 
very close to her. Me too. Uh, that's right. You're from Washington State. Yes, Did I you actually ever... grew up just miles from the Green River. That's funny. So you and Carrie probably lived just like within a mile or two of each other. Well, I mean, the Green River is... I'm sure it's very large, but at the same time... Uh... Yeah, we were not far. Yeah. It's it's not a huge area, the Green it's River. It's fascinating, but have you ever watched the interrogation room tapes of the Green River Killer? Not at all. I'm, I was not interested in that. He is the most unassuming... You know, when the cops come in to talk to him, and there are various tactics that cops take, um, the guy that questioned uh, Dahmer said that his tactic was to be his buddy. And it worked. And so a lot of the cops, when they're interviewing guys like that, will just be polite and nice. They don't do the good cop, bad cop thing. They just mm-hmm. say, hey, how you doing? You want to talk? And uh, listening to this guy talk, before he even says anything about killing anyone, because I think he killed upwards of, what, 60, 70 people? It was a yeah, ridiculous it was, amount. It was quite a few. Um, all, almost all prostitutes. Yes. Um, his just conversation with the guy is the same kind of chit-chatty small talk you would have with a guy next to you while waiting for a bus. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, how you doing? I'm good. My room's a little cold. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll get you a blanket later. Okay, thanks. You know, just the most even keel. You know, again, had a family, wife, kids, and carried on these murders for years. And to listen to the guy talk, it again is something that I think our minds can't comprehend because we are raised in a world where we are told, and I think this is a detriment actually, the whole stranger danger thing, that you can easily tell. It's not like we're specifically told you'll know who the good people are and who the bad people are, but that's kind of the society we're raised in. Yeah, like don't talk to the creepy dude. Yeah. But it's not usually the creepy dude. No. In fact, most people that get attacked – sexually assaulted, whatever. It's already someone that they know. Oh, it's like 97% of... Yeah, and these are the people that are just like this guy, unassuming, Mm -hmm. just, you know, bland, merges into the uh, crowds of people running around. It's not like he's, you know, got Joker makeup on or, you know, long black nails. He's just a guy, just a guy. And that is what really is terrifying. And I think what people are fascinated with is this guy's like me. How is he capable of doing that and I'm not? Yep. So that leads us to, to me, my, if I had to pick a favorite, it would have to be a man by the name of H.H. Holmes. Yes, I knew. I, I knew <laughs> that that's where you were going to go. Well, his story is just so fascinating, mainly because he doesn't necessarily fit into a a very uh, convenient serial killer profile. Um, He did get financial gain out of what he did, Mm. but uh, he also (laughs) created a palace of murder, basically. Yeah. In Chicago, this guy uh, in uh, 1861 built a hotel uh, using three different construction companies so that no one would know the entire layout of the hotel so that he could turn it into a torture chamber. People would rent rooms. He would gas them. There were chutes that led down to the basement where he would skin their bodies and sell their skeletons to medical colleges. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is more... I don't know if that's more sociopath or psychopath... 
I don't think he was doing it for any sort of sexual gratification. I think he had no respect whatsoever for human life and figured out a way he could make money off of killing and do away with the evidence. Okay. Uh, he was born in New Hampshire. Um, and he did all this during the World's Fair in Chicago. He eventually moved to Chicago and was just always known as sort of this very cold, calculating man. In a way, it reminds me of Daniel Day-Lewis's character in There Will Be Blood. That, you know, the end result is I want to make as much money and build an empire and be as rich as possible. And not only am I going to crush you if you get in my way, I'm going to use you as just an object to get me there. Mm-hmm. And it's so cold and calculated, but also kind of brilliant. And he did this to so many people. And again, even though people knew he was kind of a dick, at least, you know, when people talk about Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer, they're like, oh, they were charming. I don't think people liked this guy overall. He was just very cold and very distant and very, yeah. I I can't do anything with you. You have no, no service to me. So, bleh. So I don't even – I mean obviously you would consider him a serial killer, but at the same time, he seemed to – it was less of a personal thing. It was less of a result of a trauma than it was just simply maybe this is one of those guys that was born without any empathy or feeling for human life at all because I think mm-hmm. he, I think he just simply looked at people as a commodity. But just the idea – and the, the hotel obviously is torn down now, but – just the idea that he built this this just giant torture chamber. And how many people went to stay at that hotel and left the next day having no idea that had yep. he just you know, said, I don't oh, like yep. killing him. Yep. They would have woken up dead. Yep. And it's just such a fascinating story. He was American, so he doesn't have that sort of European mysticism magic around him, but you know, we obviously as a country also have a very dark heart. And again, why this guy isn't more well known, I have no idea. Well, I don't know if you ever watched it, and I'm not necessarily suggesting that you do if you haven't, but are you aware of the show Supernatural? Yes. Okay. One of their episodes halfway through their run was about H.H. H. Holmes' oh, murder castle. I must find it. Uh, not good? No, it's fine. I mean... It's the show Supernatural. It's in line with the rest of their shows. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, but it is. it was interesting and certainly not enough discussion about it. Like, I think no. that we tend, we Americans maybe, mm-hmm. tend to fixate on spree killers. Yes. And serial killers from elsewhere. <laughs> yes. That's the thing. And that, that the way to wrap up this episode is the question I want to ask you. With a guy like H.H. H. Holmes, with a woman like Elizabeth Bathory, who have this fascinating background, why is it people like Ted Bundy or Jeffrey Dahmer or John Wayne Gacy, who are the ones that are known by everyone, when these people who killed more people than them, were colder than them, were more calculated than them, sort of get... Uh, it just sort of shoved off to the side. What is it about human psychology that makes those other people more fascinating? Is it because they're modern and we can actually go back and watch a video of them, uh, conversations with them, or is it something else? It Some of it may just be a happenstance of timing that like, not a lot of people outside of Washington State know anything about the Green River Killer. 
even right. though he is America's most prolific serial killer. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, he killed way more people in the United States than anyone else in the United States has ever killed people. Right. And most people who weren't kind of in that immediate vicinity kind of may vaguely know that there was such a thing as the Green River Killer, but nothing about him. But, like, Ted Bundy was charming. He was, you know, yes, handsome, if you're into that sort of thing. He was hard to pin down, and he would pick up women at a bar. Women go to bars. Sure. Like, that's creepy. But the Green River Killer was killing hookers. Most people yes. aren't hookers, and sadly... Most people, women and men of all ages, look very much down upon sex workers still. Right. Absolutely. And so they, there is already a slightly dehumanizing disconnect between us, the righteous good people of the United States, and those hookers. Right. So they are less – kind of like White Castle. That's true. They are less worthy of investigation or interest but, but Dahmer preyed on young gay men around the area that he lived and certainly at the time they were looked at as somewhat less than human you know overly sexual young gay men you would almost think that in a certain time frame people would just go oh yeah well we don't have to look into that because they're young gay men and for a long time I believe that was true yeah but of course late 70s early 80s there started to become more of a a progressive shift toward uh, acceptance and less looking at them as less human right well uh, and again the cannibalism probably helped too that i'm sure because that's just weird like it's it's weird but it's not i couldn't do that Right. Weird. It's just like, that's weird. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we all that, we all have a cannibal in us. Sure. Because we Most would rather survive than not. Absolutely. So push comes to shove. If it's um, me, eat your dead body or me, die. I oh. will be snacking on some Evan. Carissa, I would have no hesitation in eating you. Yeah. See? I dead or alive, it. I imagine. <laughs> I mean... I'm an opportunist as far as that's yeah, concerned. Absolutely. And I'm sorry, you look delicious. Thank you. I want um, it to taste like strawberries because you're a redhead. No, I'm a blonde. I always remember you as a redhead. Yeah, it's because I'm cute with red hair. That's true. <laughs> so that's our sort of expose on serial killers there. Super um, fascinating. Absolutely. And uh, as we've discussed off uh, mic, uh, don't expect us to not come back to some of these subjects because there's just too much information to fit into one podcast yeah. about some of these things. And, you know, it's actually good motivation for both of us, I think, to learn about some of the more lesser known serial killers. There are definitely other ones I know about that I didn't bring into this podcast. Oh, God, because yeah. If you're going to do one about serial killers and it's the first one, you got to address some of the... The big ones? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is definitely a subject I think both of us would be thrilled to come back to. And I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to it. Uh, next week uh, uh, is another Nerd Rage! Yay! In which I get to dissect one of the worst things I've ever seen. And I will leave it at that. Oh. But, yeah. 
Yeah, you thought you were mad about equilibrium. I would take 50 <laughs> equilibriums over but what we're going to talk about next week. Oh, my. And add an extra half hour of Christian Bale running down a hallway to save his <laughs> about to be burned girlfriend. <laughs> add an extra half hour of, of, of Christian Bale touching stairs. Oh, God, and looking so take folks. It. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so you guys look forward to that. But um, for now, I think that's all we got. That's definitely at least the tip of the iceberg as far as uh, serial killers are concerned. But I hope you guys have enjoyed this. And I guess we are signing off. So we'll see you next time. I hope you guys got lucky tonight. Good night, nerds. Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan and Carissa. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. And visit our podcast network site at beardedpodsnetwork.com.